This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Rafael Sanchez is a forestry engineer that works with private lands under the national park auspice called Cabaneros in Spain. This is following from our talking head a week ago, where we explained the situation that's happening on the ground in Spain, in that the national park system includes private lands that for 14 years has been trying to ban hunting under these national park umbrellas. In December 2020, that hunting ban went in place. When that hunting ban went in place, these private lands that were primarily hunting grounds were at their max sustainable capacity from a deer, red deer, red stag, wild boar perspective. So probably 20, 25 deer per hectare. Well, now, 18 months later, they're at 40 to 42 deer per hectare. And their habitat is being denuded. And what we said is happening. Population has exploded. And there needs to be some sort of management that occurs. So we wanted to talk to someone on the ground that understood the situation best. And Raphael was that man. Absolutely enjoyed this conversation. 
because you're never going to hear it on any other podcast. And it's a situation that shows the proof of what happens when hunting is banned. So this is what I love Mm -hmm. about the hunting community, right? We just got introduced. You sent me an email maybe three hours ago. I was still asleep. I'm still asleep now. It's 4.15 in the morning, my time, or 5.15 in the morning, my time. But I'm an early riser. Um, But we released a video on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we have very good friends in Spain. And we have very good friends in the hunting communities in Spain. And you guys um, are in a predicament right now. You guys are fighting something that is like craziness. And so we uh, decided to put a video out, and the video um, has done very well. Yeah. And uh, we just want to help you, right? We just want to, like, this is the plight that you guys are under, under, undertaking. And, you know, and, this, and, and to, for the audience's perspective here, for context, um, Spain, and we can talk through this, Raphael, but yeah. Bro- Correct me if I get this wrong, okay? I'm going to really paraphrase this a little bit. All right. About a year ago, the Spanish government put a a ban of hunting in place on your national parks, which is similar to Yellowstone in America. It's the it's the state park. The Spanish government runs the national park, but it's an area that over encompasses private land, essentially. That's- and those edicts, those regulations apply to the private land, i.e. private land, guys, you cannot hunt. You're not allowed to hunt anymore. You're not allowed to generate any economics, revenue, no nothing from hunting. And now, today, the Spanish government goes, oh, crap, we're in a predicament. We have too many animals on the landscape. You hunters, you need to hunt 5,000 animals in 28 days and help us. And we're like, "Mm, there's a little bit of an irony here, Raphael. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the story started... Raphael, before you get going, why don't you, um, good morning, number one, good afternoon in Spain. Uh, Raphael Sanchez, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and tell you who you are and what you do? Okay. Thank you very much, Roy, to give me this opportunity to to join with uh, the rest of the world uh, what is going on in Spain. Okay. Yes, well, I'm a forestry engineer that uh, on my professional life, what I do is run private estates, hunting private estates mm-hmm. in Spain. And particularly in this area of Cabañeros, I'm running since nearly 20 years, two of the biggest estates that are inside the national park. Okay. So I've been involved through the last 20 years in all the relations between the government and the private owners in National Park of Cabañeros, okay? So I know how everything was developed. We had at least four different or five different uh, national laws uh, since that time uh, regarding uh, national parks. And uh, the story is quite, uh, it's quite long. I am not gonna go through the whole story because it's, it's quite long. But at the end, what you told is the consequence of uh, everything that was set up on those laws, okay? So, as you know, the the national parks in Spain, we have already 15, and there are another two that are coming up in the next years, okay? Um, They are regulated by a national law, and 
since, let's say, 14 years ago, came up the idea on this law that the hunting, let's say, sportive and commercial hunting is not allowed in the national parks, okay? So this was quite confusing and quite, uh, mm, let's say, important to the management of this land because it was done from centuries. I mean, hunting was, uh, in most of this land, something that has been done traditionally since centuries. So uh, it was quite a controversy uh, deal to, to go with on those days. So the government started to give some more time to... Uh, as we say in soccer, to push, uh, to to kick the the, the ball up, down ahead, the field, okay? Because nobody wanted on those days to take the decision to really ban uh, hunting, because okay. they all know, especially the technicians that are officials for the government, they know the problem that we have, okay? So they started talking about this fourteen years ago. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So. They changed the law seven year, in, in 2014, the last time, and they gave us another six years, or they gave them another six years to uh, try to adapt all the land uh, belong to the national parks into this ban, okay? They, they had to take some decisions that mainly there were two. One is compensate the private owners for taking out the rights of hunting okay that's one thing you you need a, com a an economic compensation when you have an expropriation of a right from the government this is this is already uh, written in the law right and the second part of this issue is that they had to promote uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, let's say uh, contracts with the, these uh, private owners to keep managing this land, okay? Because for the government to manage a private land is not that easy. I mean, it's, it's a land that doesn't belong to the government and uh, they don't have the, the rights of ownership. So they cannot go in every time they want. I mean, they need our cooperation to manage this land, okay? Of course. So during these six years, the administration, the Spanish government, didn't do anything. They just stayed quiet and didn't do anything. Okay, so then came the date, the the the, the final date. That this was, was December of twenty twenty, right? That is right. That is right. So they decided to just keep straight to the law and ban hunting. Okay, but they didn't give us at that time, any other solution for the two big deals that we had on the table. And this is, we we started to to make, uh, uh, I mean, meetings with them, to, to start meetings with them, to try to find solutions, because there are, as I said, two main deals. First is the, the compensation, economic compensation for the for the rights of hunting, and on the second line, how to manage these properties. Right, of course. The um, the wildlife situation is going to be paramount, right? It's like because 
hunting is a tool for management. It's not the only tool, but it's a tool for management. And if you take that tool away in the Spanish landscape, what else, what else is there to manage the wildlife on the Spanish landscape, Rafael? Well, let me tell you, there is another, another, uh, another thing that is quite important to understand what is going on. This part of the private land in the National Park of, Ca of Cabañeros is 50% of the whole uh, national park. So it's, it's a really important part of the national park. And it is divided in 13 different private properties, each of them fenced. So mm. we are not talking about to manage a 50,000 hectare big, uh, huge land. No, we are talking about managing 13 different properties fenced between the size of 700 to the size of 7,000. Okay, but all fence, and that means that any of them has to be treated as singular. I mean, they are not. I mean, they are not related to the others because of the fences. So you have to manage each property separate, and this is a right that was given to the owners. I mean, the right of fencing was given to the owners in the past. I mean, this is something that is. How does how does how does the national park boundary? I, that just blows my mind that you've got these, and I, and I assume it's high fence, right? High fence places, yeah. or is it low fence? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So how does how does the boundary encompass fencing? It, the boundary couldn't it couldn't be driven drawn around the private land when they established the national park? No, absolutely. Each of the properties were fenced. Absolutely surrounded. I mean, each of them are separate from the others. And even the national park is fenced itself. The public national park, it's already fenced also. Wow. So, wow. I mean, it has to be treated as a fenced property, as a fenced uh, singular land. I mean, uh, so this so is also another question it's very important to understand that you have to manage these properties and keep control the game that you have in because they cannot escape to other other places right right so let me ask this question we're talking about cabaneros right you mentioned that there were 15 national parks in this in spain is cabaneros as an example representative of what's happening in all the other national parks are they seeing the same things happening from a wildlife population growth and habitat perspective? Are you hearing that from your counterparts in the other national parks? Let me tell you. Uh, there are a couple of uh, national parks in this 15, that is Cabañeros and Monfragüe, that is in Extremadura, in the southwest of the country, that has mainly the same problem because they were set up under the same priority, under private land, okay? So let's say that uh, both two uh, national parks has the same problem and also the nature, let's say the, the habitat there, are very similar, one to the other. So let's, let's say that this two has the same problem now. Then 
there are some other national parks that are, let's say, islands or like you know, there are a couple of them in the in the Canary Islands. There are some in these islands in the Atlantic, uh, in the Mediterranean. These are quite different. I mean, they, we are talking about sea, um, uh, land, islands, completely different fauna, completely different area, and they are. I think they are properly cared and properly managed. Then we have some of the parks that are up in the mountains, in the Cantabric Range, and also in the Pyrenees, okay? Those are mainly, let's say, municipally land, so let's say townland. Less private land. They they are obviously not fence, not high fence. They are Mm -hmm. mountains, Mm -hmm. and they are, well, pretty much well managed. And they have... And uh, then you have uh, Doñana, which is uh, well, a special place also. And, and, and some other parks are, I would say, they are not bad managed, okay? Mm-hmm. But then you, have, then you have the National Park of Madrid. There's, you know, there's a big mountains in the north of Madrid that's called Guadarrama. And there's a big national park there. There, in the beginning of the... 21st century, they introduced the Spanish ibex in these mountains that were not there for many years, okay? So they introduced them in the beginning of the 21st century, beginning of the 20s, uh, uh, 2000s, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, they introduced them, but they didn't hunt them since there. And then they created the national park. And now we have a huge population of ibex that are really uh, putting in danger the nature there. But they are saying there are more than 7,000 ibex in these mountains at the moment. And the only way to control them is capturing and send them alive to other places. But this is a very small amount of the animals that they can control by by Mm -hmm. that method. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, also hunting is banned. Also hunting is banned there. And we have a huge problem also in this part of, of, of the mountains, in this national park of Guadarrama. So you're on the ground right now. You're sitting in your vehicle. You're in Cabaneros National Park right now. Is that That's correct? That's right. That's right. So tell me, I haven't seen any. I've just heard from people. I've just heard anecdotal evidence. Can you tell me, because... This is sort of, I want to wrap my head around this, right? So this this ban was put in place in December of 2020. Since then, no mm-hmm. hunting has taken place. What That's does the right. habitat look like, Raphael? Have you seen changes in the landscape? Have you seen changes in the habitat? In, you know, we're now talking 14, six, 15, 16 months since the ban. Well, I can tell you, yes, we have noticed that. Uh, you know, I can I can get out of the car and maybe video a little bit the scene around me. I don't know if this Perfect. is a good idea. Not yes. right now. Nobody's going to see it. No, no, no. Don't do it right now. You can send All it right. to me later. Okay, I will. I will. Well, let me tell you that this this area, this habitat, is covered by bush mainly and trees. Okay, this is Mediterranean forest that uh, normally the animals like to. Uh, eat, especially in the winter, 
these kind of bushes. So most of these bushes are eatable by the game, mainly by the okay. deer. Okay. So when the population is increasing, they start to overeat these Overbrace, uh, bushes, right? and these you can see around the edges of the of the bush, uh, inside the bush. Also, you can notice uh, too many trees are damaged by the antlers. When you have too many stacks, they like to, you know, uh, take out the velvet with the with the trees, and 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 they they damage the trees. And this is something that we are noticing. Also, the same with the boars. They like to go in all the wet areas, and they like to destroy all the grass there, looking for wars or whatever you know they're mm-hmm, looking for mm-hmm. food so when there are too many they destroy the habitat because they are i mean they they they, they go too many animals every day to the same place and this mm-hmm. is happening now i can mm-hmm. i can show you images of of this mm-hmm. and uh, we are we are claiming and we are crying to the to, to these guys in in our city in Madrid, saying that we have they have to take a decision i mean there is already there is already a report they order to one of my colleagues that uh, shows perfectly the situation. And there is an evidence in that report, and that's an official report ordered by the government, that there is no, no only, I mean, the only solution of this is keep on hunting. But maybe if you don't want, don't tell this is hunting. This is, let's say, uh, population control actions, or how you want to call, but the only effective, efficient way to control this uh, population is by hunting. That's it. And this is this is. So, Raphael, the population. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. So, I've seen some videos coming out of Spain, and and tell me if this is out of Cabaneros or not, but. The Spanish government has realized that they have to manage the wildlife. So instead of hunting them, they've put fences up, they've put feed along those fences, and they've pushed deer into essentially cattle chutes, right? And bolt through their head just like cattle to, to, to reduce the population. Is that happening in Cabaneros? It is happening in Cabaneros, in the public land, okay, in the public area of the national parks. They have been doing this. Since years now, okay? okay, they capture. So it's every not summer. new. It's not. It's not new. They, that's their population. That's their method for population control: is herd that's the animals it. up, stick them in a chute, and take them out. Yes, that is right. And they also put up some cages to capture the wild boar and shoot them mm-hmm. in the cage, and and that's mm-hmm. it, and and sell it for meat. But let me tell you that even with this method, that they really try hard every summer for two months when, you know, here with our climate in the summer, there is very little food available for these animals. So you can bring in in these fences areas with food, easy. And they use this, that I understand is a method. I don't like it, but it's a method, okay? But even they try very hard, they cannot get to the numbers that they need in the national park. And that is why also the population of deer and wild boar in the national park in the public land is also over the limits they have put up so tell me go ahead 
No, no, sorry. We are talking about that now. By average, in the national park, there are around 30 to 35 uh, deer per square kilometer. Okay? And uh, the limit that the, let's say, the rule of the national park set up was 20. So we are way far up from the limits. And I mean, if we don't react just now, this will grow up very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So talk about population growth, because again, someone may say, you've only been, there's been no hunting for 14 months, 15 months. How can your population be so out of control in 15 months? How do we? How do you explain that, Rafael? Easy. We started from a numbers that were already a little bit up, a little bit higher than the than the limits. We, for example, in this uh, this particular place called Cabañeros, which is the heart of the national park where everything belong, uh, where everything started. Okay, it's a private uh, uh, it's a private estate that used to be thirty thousand hectares now is 60 is 6000 hectares okay here we had a population when everything began around uh, 25 uh, heads of deer per uh, square kilometer gotcha. nowadays after one and next to two births okay birth seasons two cycles we can yeah. reach yeah we we are now think that maybe the, the growth every year is at 30%. So in two years, we can easily go up to 40 or 42 uh, animals per square kilometers. And that's a lot. Way, mm -hmm. way much than the, this habitat can hold. Mm -hmm. So then tell us a little bit about how this whole now, this, this request from the government has come down, right? This request is like, hey, you guys need to help us now. We need 5,000 animals taken in 28 days. Like, <laughs> just give me, give me, what, what, what is that? Tell me about it. Okay. Let me explain you. It's quite easy. They know that they have to do something, but they have the pressure of, the, of all the green movement against hunting, you know? So they know they know and they have the evidence that they have to take the decision to start hunting. But uh, they are not so brave to take the decision already because of this pressure from the green movement. That means that they make this ridiculous, uh, let's say, authorization to us to uh, help them. But we, we, we respond to them saying, quite easy. Two things. This is absolutely technically impossible because taking out 5,000 animals in one month only spotting stock and waiting for them in certain places, it's absolutely impossible. I, I made some calculation that having one hunter every 500 hectares hunting every single day we didn't even reach 20% of the animals that uh, they need to take out. So absolutely impossible. This is the technical part 
of our argument. And the second is the economical part of our argument. I mean, this management now is not our problem, it's the government problem. So we can help them if they support us economically. I mean, mm-hmm. we you, you cannot imagine the amount of money that you need to pay, let's say, 40, 50 people hunting every single day here and, and taking out the meat from the bush. I mean, this costs a lot of money. And we are not, I mean, this is not our problem. It's the government problem. So they have to pay for that. So let's set up a contract. Let's say how every, every I mean, between them and ours agreed to help each other. And then we can go on. But we have to set up first how, when, and how much does it cost? This is Are those conversations happening, Raphael? Are those conversations happening with the government? We are having conversations, but nothing is already set. I mean, we are mm. we are trying to get an agreement in in both or in 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 two in the, in the two lines. I mean, one is the economic line, and the second is the, is the management line. And we are trying to to get a solution. And and this, thanks that you are giving me this opportunity to show everybody what is going on, that maybe this helps them uh, to take a decision and and to finally understand that this is a problem that we have to solve between each other. I I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite positive. I think we will find a solution because there is no other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rafael. It sounds like the the goal of five thousand animals in twenty eight days is impossible. Absolutely. So what happens? Absolutely. Then? then you have to use the whole season because they are. We have a season of almost five months. Okay, five months is not one month, and then we have several methods of hunting quite efficient in this kind of mush and they are traditional metal that has been mm-hmm. used here for centuries. You're for talking example, about Monterias. That's it. That's it. Uh-huh. But don't mm-hmm. don't call them Monterias anymore. Call them uh, population control uh, driven hands or driven mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care about how do you want to cook you no know, how do they want to call them. What I what I know, and, and it's also written in that report I was uh, was uh, telling you before, that this is the most efficient method to take out, let's say, 100, 150, 200 animals in one day. I mean, with that, doing this every two weeks, we can get that numbers. Easy, because the, the animals are there, but, but not sport and stock. One hunter, I mean, this is impossible. And they know this is impossible, but the green movement must understand that this is the only way to do it. Raphael, the um, is the twenty-eight days. You're in the twenty-eight days now, or it's still coming. The government no, twenty-eight are, days for the five thousand. Yeah, yeah, it's it was, open already. It was the month of February. Yeah. Okay, and do you think it'll be extended? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I think we have to wait for the next season. And the next season is next February? No, next season, sorry, is next September. 
this coming so September. Our, our main hunting season starts in September, ends in February. Okay. But you think so you'll be able to hunt in September? That, that... Pardon? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you think the Spanish government will let you hunt this September? I hope. I hope. I hope that uh, common sense will take on and uh, we'll, we'll get an agreement because it's the only way. It's a it's a sad situation. But anyway, these five thousand these five thousand animals next next year. I mean next year, next season. Let's talk about September. It will come up to seven thousand. How many animals do you think got taken in February? I mean, if they allow us to hunt, well, let's hunt to control the population with uh, the methods that we know they are efficient. I know we can get between these 20 something thousand hectares between all of us, we can hunt and we can take out easy 6,000 animals, but they have to allow us to do that. So let me ask this because I think I'm a little confused. The 28 days for the 5,000 animals that the government has given you, that's already passed or that's still coming? It's over. It's over. How many animals got taken, do you think? None. None? None. Because re- we refuse to do this way. Okay. Gotcha. We, we respond, the government, that this is not the way. That it, this is technically impossible and economically impossible. So we need another solution. We are not going to do things uh, like this. I mean, we need a proper way to do things right man it's a tough situation as i told you before as i told you before this is not our problem now this is their problem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a crazy situation it is a crazy situation that essentially shows the proof of what happens yeah the crazy situation is so high i mean so ridiculous i mean they ban hunting that create economically uh, active in the, in the area. I mean, there were many people employed for the hunts and everything. They ban that, that make economic uh, activity in the area. And now they will have to pay for the same. I mean, not even that they have to pay for the rights of hunting. This is, I mean, if you expropriate something, you have to pay for that. It's not that only that, it's that they will have to pay for the management hunting because it is not our problem. They have to, if they want to count with us that they need, they will have to support us in every way. Raphael, um, if you are allowed to hunt in September, 5,000 animals, 7,000 animals, whatever they tell you, right? And hopefully they give you five months and not one month. Yeah. Would the hunting outfits, would, would they be allowed to charge people to hunt? I would think they would be, right? They would be allowed to go back to their normal business, well, course let, of business. Let me tell you that the main thing that they will not accept, and this we know, is that they will not accept any commercial hunt on this. Uh, 
So it will not be ever the same because it will have to be, let's say, management hands that only can be done by certain kind of people with a kind of, let's say, education on management. So they will never be commercial hands anymore. So nobody can sell a hand in Cabaneros anymore. This is for sure. So this is why we are claiming for economic support. That makes sense. That makes sense now. Yeah, you need to be able to hire people to do the work and generate the income off of the animals themselves. And I assume you make some, is there some income to be generated from the meat itself, Raphael? Yeah. Yeah, from the meat, there will be an income, but this income from the meat will not cover the, the whole uh, cost of the hunt. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. in these big driving hunts, we need a lot of dogs, I need a lot of beaters. So it's it's quite a high cost and it will not cover only by the meat. So but this is what we are telling the, the, the government. I mean they will can they, they can take the meat for them, they can sell the meat and get an income from the meat. And uh, th- we just need to be paid for the hand. I mean the cost of the hand is what they have to pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Raphael, I know that you're a busy man. Um, I appreciate your time uh, explaining this. Um, and as soon as I get off this podcast, stay on, okay, when we hit re- record, because I've got some ideas. Um, but I just want to thank you, man. Thank you for allowing me to get on. Thank you for your voice. I'm sorry that we can't help you more than we can, uh, but I think we can help you more. Uh, so I've got some ideas. Thank you very much, Robbie, for giving me this opportunity and, and share this information to everybody that I might think that very little people will know about this uh, without your help. So really, really well, Raphael, your, your voice is about to go around the world, my friend, and um, people from all around the world are going to know Rafael Sanchez out of Cabaneros now. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rafael. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.